Goes forward! Oh, Denny Bawanga! Well, the Final Four in Major League Soccer is set. Denny Bawanga's goal, courtesy of Apple TV. LAFC over Seattle in what might have been the marquee match of the four in the quarterfinals. It'll be LAFC in Houston in the Western Conference Final, and hell is real indeed. Hell for everybody who is not a Columbus or Cincinnati supporter, as those two will meet in the Eastern Conference Final. Welcome in. It's Club and Country. Wes Bowling, the... uh, I, I went out of order in the intro, so I was on radio for a bit, covered the club via written or spoken word, uh, longer than anyone in their respective discipline of uh, radio, and about one day uh, shorter than... I'm Tim Sullivan, the creator of ClubCountryUSA.com, uh, and I did beat West to the punch and uh, have kept at it a little bit longer <laughs> in print as well. A little bit longer and much better in print. I did get the Garber interview, though. I have to always remind you. On, uh, yeah, that's true. On the MLS I, that's, how I, that's how I will always know that the MLS announcement was on a Wednesday because I had to cut out and go on Virginia Tech radio, <laughs> which is why you got it. And I did not. <laughs> uh, again, d- double uh, multitasking. I was there uh, on behalf of my company, uh, who was a, a potential corporate partner. That didn't work out. Wasn't my decision, but didn't work out. Um, the podcast worked out great and our friendship <laughs> worked out great. So it was all worth it uh, once you got over your jealousy of me talking to, to Garber. Uh, <laughs> today, Tim, we're going to have some fun. It's a mailbag episode. Uh, and, and we'll start with with one from John Mueller right off the bat before we really get into the teeth of it. He asked a very important question that longtime listeners have been pining to know the answer to now for a couple of weeks. Tim, have we reached hot Tim winter? We have to to wait to officially call it until NSC releases its postseason roster moves, or, or maybe we shouldn't wait that long. But, <laughs> but in effect, we're there. It's kind of like Groundhog Day. It's like, does the Groundhog see a shadow? Does he not see a shadow? Uh, I'm an adult, so I know it doesn't actually affect anything. But yes, Autumn Winter is here. So if we're waiting for NSC to announce its roster decisions, we'll get what a week long Autumn Winter, I guess. It'd be like a <laughs> we'll see Florida Winter, basically. <laughs> Uh, don't uh, don't hold your breath. It is the most wonderful time of the year. There are almost the most wonderful time of the year. Not Christmas. No, I mean, roster season. And for those of you who haven't been through an off season with us here on the Club and Country podcast or who are not yet regular readers at Club, uh, Club Country Tim is the preeminent MLS roster expert in this market and, and one of the most knowledgeable in that area. Uh, really in, in this wonderful, weird world that is Major League Soccer roster mechanism uh, analysis. And so, you know, I, I can know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> that, that very non-niche thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's universal, really. I'm sure Titans fans are like, okay, yeah, the Titans won. But like, really, what I want to know is how much GAM does Nashville have to spend? And uh, that, that's really what they want to know. Uh, but but it's a fun time of year because we we can get into, well, we're selling hope, right, in a way. You know, mm-hmm. Nashville SC wasn't what it wanted to be uh, in 2023, minus one tournament. We're almost got a trophy. Uh, it's an opportunity to talk about where this club needs to go from here. And so today, it's exactly what we're going to do. Primarily, we're going to hear your mailbag questions. And primarily, they were about what's up next for this club. So what can we expect between now and when CONCACAF Champions Cup starts on February 6th? When are we going to hear about Nashville's roster decisions from players currently on the roster? We'll give you a whole calendar of dates that you can expect. Some early thoughts about CONCACAF Champions Cup. One of you asked, uh, not so shockingly, about whether MLS referees and pros specifically should be held uh, to higher levels of accountability. And they'll go outside in and briefly preview the conference finals to a busy show packed full of roster talk. And I said at the last show, this is kind of my favorite time of year 
right after the season when rosters aren't really fully, um, you know, or even close to being finalized yet for the next season, discussing needs, possibilities, naming some potential free agent options as we'll do today. Are you as excited as I am? Yeah. I mean, longtime listeners know what I do for my day job, which is cover essentially high school football recruiting in the Virginia tech market. And it's the same sort of concept. It's uh, each off season, you have all this hope and, and you have this flexibility that you can play with in terms of how the roster is constructed. It's the same thing in the, in the college football recruiting world. It's uh, if your team did not win the national championship, which uh, unfortunately your Vols are, are not in the running for, um, <laughs> then, uh, then you get, then you have all off season to sell hope. And I think that that's what, uh, you look at four, you know, all but four remaining major league soccer teams, including Nashville SC. Do you have any hope, by the way, speaking of hope that Michigan finally beats Georgia this time around? Is there, are you allowing yourself? There's hope. hope. There's hope. The, there's listen, it's not worth being a sports fan if you don't actually have hope uh, going into games. So we'll if see. a Michigan wins on a green field and a hardball is not there to see it, turns out it does happen. It does count. Uh, and then the Bucknuts, Buckeyes fallen now three straight to Michigan. And uh, this is, of course, your favorite college football podcast, in addition to being the permanent Nashville SC soccer show. Um, Tim, speaking of college football, of course, tremendous place uh, to watch college football or soccer. ML Rose, uh, I was there and actually did something I've never done before at ML Rose. This is my, I don't know, 150th visit maybe to our wonderful restaurant sponsor. Uh, I worked from ML Rose. I spent an afternoon working uh, took a for the call. first time yeah for the first time don't get me wrong i've been there during work hours before but this time i actually worked it was it was great yeah uh yeah one of my go-tos especially when i first moved to nashville was to bring the old laptop up there uh drive up there and end up walking home because you have 12 to 14 beers and write 12 to 14 <laughs> stories and, and you head home uh, and then you uh sleep it off a little bit uh it's it's a great place to work. It's the sort of place where the the service staff kind of respects the fact that you are working, yep. but they are still attentive to your needs as as restaurant staff. And uh, the Wi Fi is great. I, I I can attest to it at at yes. least two of the two of the many locations that the Wi Fi is great. Yeah, I, I don't know why coffee shops are always the go to for for work. That's great in the morning. I've, I've had, dude, I've I've long had this thing where like somebody who can correctly pull off a lot of people try, but do not correctly pull off coffee shop and bar would would be uh, they'd be seeing me a lot of me. We'll just put it that way. Yes, yeah, yeah. But as it is, that place it's it's hard. It's hard to balance that um, either practically or from from a perception standpoint. Uh, ML Rose, by the way, so will serve you coffee for brunch uh, on the weekends as well. So maybe they are pulling it off in their own way there. But uh, yeah, Wi-Fi was really good. Service was fantastic. I had actually zero beers. I was trying to kill time between working downtown at our office and a haircut I had scheduled in Sylvan Park area. So I, I went and, and spent two hours, 30 minutes on a call, easy, easy Zoom slash. I think it was actually Teams. Uh, but either way, easy, you know, no issues there. Food was great. Uh, zero beers, but but lots of fun had. Uh, I'm going to be going back and doing that again one of these days soon. It was fantastic. ML Rose, 8th Avenue, Capitol View, Mount Juliet, uh, and of course, West Nashville, where I hunkered down on Charlotte Pike and got a couple hours of good work done uh, with a burger to boot. All right, let's move on to a brief early shout here, Tim. And I thought before we a- answered a lot of mailbag questions about 
Nashville SE's roster and about what was next, it would be helpful to define terms here. And in this case, to define the calendar. What has already happened? What's happening as soon as this week? What are the key off-season roster mechanism dates? And as we do that, maybe as we you know touch on some of these, it may be useful for you to explain a little more what each mechanism represents. Uh, one thing has already happened. Uh, we don't know what happened, but we know that <laughs> it happened. Uh, as of November 22nd, clubs who were not in the conference semis or beyond uh, had their deadline to submit bona fide offers to players and then submit what those offers were to the league. And then December 1st, so end of this week, is the club deadline then to exercise or decline player options. So essentially, Tim, by the end of this week, Teams roster decisions are made. Some have already announced those. Nashville SE could have mm-hmm. announced those because um, even the option situation, a lot of clubs will just say, hey, still in negotiation yeah. with X or Y. You know, we'll have more when it comes. Nothing from Nashville yet, but the players know, the club knows, mm-hmm. the league knows what's happening next. Yeah, it's it's the situation where, you know, like we we're talking about, what does the roster look like in terms of what you're locked into and what you aren't locked into and where is that flexibility that's this is the spot where that happens is is which op- options are we going to pick up or decline where are we going to have space on our roster is it going to be on on the 20 man senior roster is it going to be on the next eight in the reserve roster um, it's probably not going to be those last two homegrown spots we know that Nashville's locked in um for at least a couple of those uh going forward with one of them a homegrown player that they developed themselves in a Demsipich but um yeah this is this is where um kind of hot tim winter really happens to be quite honest as much as the trades and the acquisitions are are fun to to keep track of seeing exactly where the roster space is open is what is happening this week and that's the thing that that really kind of gets us going uh, in this in this sort of uh, phase of the year. Sure does. Dax McCarty and Fafa Pico, the two Nashville players who are out of contract, who would then, of course, need to negotiate new contracts with the club if the club wants them to hang around. Several players, though, have options. Teal Bunbury, Nick Depew, Jan Gregush. Something tells me Nashville won't pick up an option for a player no longer on their roster <laughs> as that contract <laughs> was transferred over to, to Minnesota. Dan Lovitz, uh, interesting there, I think. Taylor Washington and Ethan Zubak. Some interesting decisions to be made. And you know, we could sit here and speculate as to each one of those players' futures with the club, but we don't know. Maybe they release what they did tomorrow. Maybe it's next week. I think it may still be a while before we we know officially, uh, but don't want to preempt that. Then we start looking at acquisition at that point. December 6th through 9th is the college showcase uh, where top college players, uh, particularly those in Generation Adidas, have a chance to show their stuff. Uh, so it's the draft pool combine, if you will, of sorts. Uh, so GMs across the league will be there. And then the trade window opens December 11th. And that's where we see things really start to to pick up. Uh, the day after that, end of year waivers in reverse order of the 23 finish. Uh, free agency opens the day after that. So then all of a sudden you got trade window, you got free agency, three entry process and the super draft on December 19th. So a lot between now and then will happen to help that Nashville SC roster take shape. Anything else in that process, Tim, that you want to explain before we move on? Yeah, so the the waiver process is is essentially um, the guys who who are um, who have been waived by their previous team. Whether that's uh, I believe it's the end a contract can end, but guys who are not eligible for for free agency can opt into this. If they do not opt into it, they're still eligible for take for being taken in the re entry draft. In a lot of ways, they end up being the same. <laughs> so so if you don't get taken. In, in end of your waivers, you are eligible to be taken in the um, in the uh, reentry draft later. Uh, let's see, it's two days later, so it is a situation where basically everybody who is not under contract with an MLS team at this time um, will be eligible to be taken at, at at some point on Tuesday for the waivers. 
uh, the guys who are free agency eligible on, on Wednesday, December 13th, free agency lasts essentially until the end of the off season. So that's just a starting date. Then the re-entry process happens the 14th and, and 21st. Um, it happens in two stages. It's, it's basically just anybody who wasn't taken in stage one get, is, is thrown back into a, a pot and, and can be taken in stage two. Surprisingly, Nashville has taken a couple guys in stage two over the past few off seasons. So that's not something that is, is one that every single MLS fan should watch uh, or pay attention to. I should say you can't watch it anymore. You could the first couple of years Nashville was in major league soccer, but, but NSC fans could, could be uh, paying attention and watching that happen um, or seeing who signs, I guess, or who is picked up, uh, you know, Basically, up until Christmas week. Yeah, uh, Eric Miller, the noteworthy one I'm thinking of with uh, the yeah. reentry process. Free agency, of course, Sean Davis, the big name that uh, after we discussed it uh, on this podcast several times, Mike Jacobs apparently took note. Uh, we know you listen, Mike. Thanks again for following our advice. We may have some advice for you later today. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so that's what's coming up. Uh, this is all listed on MLS's website, by the way. And uh, of course, go to Club Country USA for coverage of each of these mechanisms. Keep listening to us. Uh, and now we'll go straight to the mailbag because there are questions about this process. And we promise you guys an end of season mailbag special uh, as Hot Tim Winter begins. The freeze is coming. And we'll start with Chax McCarty. What a coincidence, by the way, that, that somebody on Twitter will be named something that rhymes with Nashville SC's former captain. That's amazing that he just happened to be a Nashville fan with a name like Chax McCarty. Really, uh, it might be his. It might be his uh, evil twin. Who knows? Maybe it is. We <laughs> knew he had a brother. Uh, didn't know he had an evil twin as well. Uh, Jax McCarty had a couple of questions. We'll start with this one. Why is it taking Nashville longer than most other clubs to release roster decisions? And by release, he means, of course, to the public. What do you think might be causing the delay? Uh, this is just how Nashville chooses to do it. Uh, and at this point of the season, you know, a lot of clubs have already announced their roster decisions, uh, but clubs have discretion. Uh, they have to, again, submit those bona fide offers to the league by November 22nd, exercise options by December 1st, but there's no official rule about when to announce the roster moves. In fact, on the MLS website, it says teams will announce their own decisions. And so some clubs do that right away. Um, some clubs like Nashville, wait, last year they announced roster decisions November 16th, but keep in mind that was a month and a day after their season ended. Essentially, Tim, they they wait for whatever reason until the last possible moment or till it's even already been publicized elsewhere to do that. And that's just their decision. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it's frustrating as as obviously we have talked ourselves up as, as two of the people who care about this the most. But um, it, it's frankly because they just don't they don't care to announce it. You mentioned that they didn't announce until November 16th last year. That was after Major League Soccer had already announced those answers. So Nashville sent out a press release that was things people already knew. Um, it's just there there are different people working in that department now, but kind of it's uh, it's turning out to be the same sort of process that Nashville SC is running. And, and that means that it's maybe an edict from the top. It, it is frustrating to me. It's yes. In, at the end of the day, it's small potatoes. People who care this much about MLS roster rules are, are few and far between, maybe more so in this market because we uh, force it on people a little bit. But I think you can look at it and say in a year where the on-field product really disappointed a lot of fans. They have everything to gain and nothing to lose by throwing fans a bone and throwing throwing their media a bone and, and just you know saying that we're not going to because we don't have to because nobody's going to force us to is is I don't want to say emblematic, but it's it's not the right move for Nashville SC. They obviously have a different philosophy than I do, but I th- I think it's it's silly, it's borderline immature, and I don't, I don't think they should do it the way they do. There is no good answer um, to to the second question, or or I guess the first one. They're they're pretty related there from Chax, 
But uh, yeah, there's no good answer, but that's basically the answer is that they just don't care enough to do it. Yeah, I think that, you know, it goes down to the mentality of this club in the public eye. And often I think the club tries to be very calculated in how and when it releases things. You know, I, I can certainly understand waiting until after December 1st when, you know, to, to say, all right, and we can have give, give you full information here on the options we have exercised versus those we have not. I can respect that. I don't mind waiting to, to learn until until then. But, you know, Tim, I put together content plans. Uh, you know, I, have a, I have a running content plan for my day job that I update almost every day. And the content plan is, of course, the ultimate confluence between organizational need and audience expectation. You know, how can we serve our organization's needs while also meeting the needs of the audience? And that means being hungry and proactive in how we publicize things and the information we put out. You know, maybe they're waiting until the first big trade domino falls December 11th and they can say, okay, yeah, we cut these three guys you love, but hey, look, shiny objects. I think that's overthinking. And I think you have to trust your audience enough and your growing diehard audience to feed them the meat when they're hungry and when it's appropriate to do that instead of waiting and trying to spin something, not suggesting that that's what they're doing, but I think it could be part of their thought process. Yeah. And this, this will actually go a little bit to a question that we are going to answer later too, but I think, or it's not actually a question that we're going to answer. It's going to come up in my answer to a question, but the fact that Nashville SC fans haven't had anything to talk about around this club, they want to, they want to be engaging. They want to be discussing this club. And I think, the, from the club's perspective, that is what you want them to be doing. And and they are not being given any way to, to talk about this club, basically, aside from something that was external to the club, which is assistant general manager, Ellie McKay being hired away to, to take the top spot at DC United. And that's, that's really good for Ellie. It's also mm-hmm. not something that's, that's, you know, going to drive a news cycle of Nashville SC talk. And it means Nashville SC talk is just not happening in yeah. music city in the way it should be. Yeah, be part of the conversation, understanding that means you're also going to be open to criticism. But right now, Nashville should be selling hope to the extent they can do that. Selling hope to a fan base that didn't have much of it in the second half of the season after League's Cup. Uh, I think until then, it's going to become a corrosive place. Uh, and, And yeah, I agree with you. Sell some hope here. Get some names out there. But maybe that's part of their approach is, hey, once we have a free agent to also announce or a trade to also announce, you know, then we can really sell the hope and then kind of pull a bait and switch with some players maybe let go that the club, you know, has loved. And I just think that's the wrong approach if that's indeed their logic. Uh, Justin Belial, given Nashville's tendency to add bigger pieces during the summer transfer windows, how likely is it that we make any personnel changes before the start of next season? Now I want to assume here that Justin means major personnel changes. I think we will inevitably see plenty of personnel changes from Nashville SC this year. My prediction is Probably more than we see them this year. (laughs) Well, yeah, this off season, I'll say. (laughs) Who knows if it's actually this year? I think that your roster turnover is going to be in spots 15 to 25 or 15 to 30. And I think we may Mm -hmm. see more than we've ever seen from Nashville. Um, But is it fair, Tim, to say that most of those moves this off season are probably going to come within the league and not, you know, a huge signing for a bra from abroad or even maybe a U22 from abroad, just given the abbreviated timeline the challenge of catching players abroad and in, in their midseason mm-hmm. and the way Nashville's always done things. Yeah, so it's it's interesting that the question kind of kind of brings up that that they make a lot of moves in the summer and and yes, they have made a DP signing nearly every season. On the first season, it was under Cadiz. Uh, second season, it was Ake Loba. They did not make one because they had both of those guys uh, overlapping a little bit. And then Sam Surridge this past year. But other than that, they they do the majority of their business in the offseason, um, whether that's free agent signings, draft picks, trades, um, et cetera. The next season's roster is largely built before the season begins, aside from potentially a designated player. Well, 
this year they have all three GP spots filled. Hani Mukhtar is back. Walker Zimmerman's back. Sam Surridge is back. So I wouldn't anticipate a major summer signing this year, actually. It's, it might feel the opposite of a typical Nashville SC signing cycle to a certain extent. Um, they'll probably keep some allocation money available for that window if they want to make some intra-league moves or, or maybe some TAM-level signings. Um, obviously, U22 signing is something that could happen uh, mid-season next year. But, but the DP history is kind of clouding judgment of when we see major moves. I think if you look at um, you know the Fafa Picos, the Teal Bunberries, the Sean Davises, maybe those don't have the same sort of Q rating as, as Akadis or Surridge, but, but certainly those were, were moves that happened uh, around this time of year and are kind of what we're expecting this year too. Yeah, the, the moves that define Nashville SC's season have always been made in this window. I mean, I, I think that's the best way to say it. Or, or lack of moves have also defined yeah, the season. Sure. Perhaps, yeah. Sure. Uh, the, the approach, the personal approach in this yeah. window has has typically defined, I think Gary Smith deeply prefers to have a guy in camp if he can, and, and you know, bonding with the team and building that chemistry, especially in a veteran group uh, like this one. So I'll be very interested to see what happens there. But I think, you know, Mike Jacobs has the track record to work with, very well within the league. And I think it's if, if there is a fourth DP slot added, uh, it's not that DP slot that probably defines national success, whether that happens in, in the summer or right now. It's the TAM level. It's the U, it's mm-hmm. maybe not the U22, but it's that next level. It's the TAM level. It's the large GAM trades. That's what will define Nashville's ability to supplement what it does best, yeah. this team group approach. And most of that group is just by definition going to have to come in this time of year. Uh, Logan says there are reports that MLS is gearing up to add a fourth DP spot, but there are clubs pushing back on adding that fourth DP. That, according to reporting that that I think we've we've each seen elsewhere as well. Is there any reason Logan says to believe Nashville's one of those clubs that's pushing back on that opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I mean, sure, it's not a big spending club, and and when you raise the spending ceiling, as as adding a fourth designated player is is raising a spending ceiling. A money style, a money ball style club. Sorry, can't quite outsmart you as much. It it kind of takes it from do you win by being good at your job as a general manager to do you win by having more money to spend as a general manager. I think Mike Jacobs would prefer to to feel smarter than it, or to to uh, he feels as though he can he can take more advantage of being a smarter general manager than being a, a bigger spending general manager. But do I think they actually are one of the teams that's pushing back against it? Probably not. I mean, they're historically one of the meaty middle that that kind of doesn't get talked a lot about in in these conversations about uh, how to how to make MLS more competitive on the global stage versus how to keep parity. They're in the middle, which is the, the majority of clubs. They are not usually one of those that's stumping to change for greater spending. They are also not one of those that usually is stumping to stick with status quo. And it would not surprise me if they're one of those that, that are uh, ready to go with the flow on this one too. Yeah, I think so too. I, I can't imagine Ian Eyre or Mike Jacobs clamoring for the league to decrease its ambition. But they'll take advantage of a lack of ambition. Yeah. From other teams I, I, and I think, and I think very, very justifiably, Mike Jacobs says, you know, the, the fewer resources everyone has to work with, I trust myself to use those resources wisely more than other people. But if you're giving everybody more resources, yes, it, it means that, that maybe the, the ceiling is raised for everybody, but that also means that it's harder for me to just outsmart other yeah. people. And I think that Nashville for that reason makes sense as one that, that is kind of agnostic in the end. Yeah. I, I don't think a fourth DP is advent, advantageous for Nashville, the way it currently approaches things. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have, a I, I don't think it's disadvantageous. Trip, it just, it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, you know, you, you, it, it requires individual strokes of GM brilliance from outside the league typically. And that, you know, of all of Mike Jacobs, you know, flourishes of brilliance that he has shown. Yeah. I and mean, I think he's been way more successful than not. 
that's been an area that's been hit or miss. It is by definition, by the way, across this league, hit or miss the DP slots. Yeah. So uh, be very interested to see, because I could also see Nashville going within the league and doing a Walker Zimmerman and raising somebody from a high level TAM to a DP with those rules and actually using its smarts while still ma- protecting its budget a little bit. Uh, and I've got a name that I might propose here in a minute to do just that. <laughs> just FYI. Uh, and we're going to go there now, actually, because this is the most fun question. It's the place where if we throw out a bunch of names, maybe we can pretend we're brilliant when we get one of these right. Sean White, we've seen the club go after experienced MLS players during the offseason in the past. Who's available and or who do you think the club is targeting this time around? Tim, have at it. Yeah, I, I just perused MLSPA's list of free agents uh, or guys who are out of contract, which you can find at MLSplayers.org. Um, this is only the guys who are who are completely out of contract, not the guys that have an option, because I did not want to go through and check a bunch of team options <laughs> to see if these guys are still on the contract. Um, Julian Gressel, uh, a longtime right wing back uh, slash right back slash right winger for a lot of different clubs, including Atlanta when they were really good. And he might be an intriguing change of option that would give you an actual right wing back when you shift to a back five. We have talked about how um, Shaq Moore can play that and that he's he's good, but it's not what he naturally does. And if you aren't in a back five, Gressel can give you a bit of a different style of winger uh, than a Schaffelberg or Pico style. Uh, Donovan Pines from DC United. I've never been a huge Pines guy, but but frankly, he fits a lot of what NSC looks for in some of their guys on the back line. He's a big, tall center back. He's not that mobile. Um, you kind of can see that being uh, somebody who can be a set piece threat, but also a defensive set piece threat. And and you have cover with your with your other more fleet of foot center backs, I guess you could say. And he's a good ball player. That's something that I think um, Nashville could could have a little bit more quality on the ball from a second center back at times. Um, Victor Uyoa would be would probably look better uh, on the field if he weren't playing in Miami's horror show this year. And he's the the right type of central midfielder. He's kind of a similar to Dax Godoy, um, but but. A little bit younger, not not that young. He's like a 31, I think. And he's domestic eligible. He came up um, through the, oh gosh, I don't remember if it's Houston or Dallas Academy, but uh, he's he's Mexican by birth, but American uh, by naturalization for many, many years now. Um, Kellen Acosta, the same. Um, obviously, he's somebody that fans are going to recognize the name of because he has a bunch of U.S. men's national team caps. Uh, maybe too much, much cash would be required here for that to be a money ball move. Um, but uh, another advantage, he and Kosuke Kumar could speak Japanese to each other. Uh, Kellen Acosta is a quarter Japanese. His grandmother only speaks Japanese. Um, New York Red Bulls, uh, Omir Fernandez. Um, he's he's kind of a, if they're going to go with more of that uh, diamond midfield, that's something that Red Bulls have done a little bit of too in the recent past. And, and uh, Fernandez is a, is a right-sided midfielder that you don't really have guys who fit um, traditional midfield roles on Nashville's roster because they have been built to be a four-two-three-one. You have central midfielders. You don't have a lot of wide mid- midfielders. That could be somebody who makes a lot of sense. And again, Nashville has really liked what they get when they sign a former Red Bull. Um, and I'm only half joking. I'm like one third joking, maybe when I say I would sign Alejandro Bedoya. Um, play him as much as he can. I think he's 39 <laughs> yes. years old. Um, you would obviously not do so unless you got him on the extremely cheap. But he's he's got every sort of you know leadership trait that we have seen Nashville look for. He's got the experience. If he gets a thousand minutes and and is a great locker room guy, that's awesome. Um, if you can pay him enough to to get him to want to do that, if I were Alejandro Bedoya, I'd say okay, like give me a million dollars or I'm retiring. And if Alejandro Bedoya was saying that, and then I'm switching and I'm Mike Jacobs, I'm saying good luck. Um, but uh, then the last one that actually I think is is a really good look for Nashville to see not as old as I was expecting is a big part of this is Jonathan Mensa. Um, he wasn't good mm-hmm. as a center back for San Jose earthquakes this year. 
he was a finalist for uh, Defender of the Year with the Columbus Crew a couple of years back. I think that's probably uh, his his drop off because he's only 31. His drop off is probably more about the Quakes than it is about Jonathan Mensa. Um, if you can get him, you know, relatively cheap. Again, these guys are out of contract, so they aren't guaranteed any high amount of money. And and in fact, uh, for free agency, they can only make 15 percent more than they were making for their previous club unless that club signs them to a brand new contract. So um, you can probably get some of these guys at a slight discount. And Mensa is one that I would really look at because I think he's awesome as a center back. Mensa would, he would definitely have to take a big cut. He's at one point, yeah. almost 1.2 million a year, but yeah, it's possible. I, I mean, I think they also like what they're building at center back with McNaughton coming in. Depew probably is out the door. I would well, guess. I like Jonathan Mensa. So there, uh, but there you go. I mean, I think, you know, he, he's a veteran presence there. I, I love the idea of bringing in a, a former Red Bull uh, and I've got one as well. Tom Barlow uh, as your next. Okay. Okay. Back. Uh, you know, he's he's on a team option right now. So again, I've just looked, Red Bulls have not publicly announced the roster moves. So still technically possible, uh, $200,000 salary. So quite manageable. He's a five-year veteran. So for me, with all due respect to Zubak, who struggled to really, you know, earn the trust of this, of this staff to earn consistent time, Barlow comes in, he's done it. I mean, Nashville's played against him as far back as USL. Uh, Sean Davis would know him quite well, of course, uh, and, and Alex Wheel. And uh, so there'd be a sales pitch there if that option is declined. I think Barlow could work really well, not as a season-changing guy, but as a third striker. It's, it's, it's Zubak, Zubac, but a slight upgrade, or uh, more yeah. than slight. Yeah. More than slight. I mean, I, had, I think three yeah. goals this past year. Like, he's done it in this league. He's not your your everyday starter, but he's a cup starter. He's a guy you have no problem playing, you know, up top alongside Hani if you need to do that. Um, you know, I think I think that could be fun um, as an upgrade there, as roster spot twenty upgraded to a guy maybe who's roster spot eleven or or you know thirteen or whatever. Uh, another club that hasn't announced its decisions yet, uh, Colorado, an option maybe if it's declined on Andrew Gutman. He's a guy legend from the past. Oh, there's such a long saga there that we won't get into, except to say that uh, in its second year of USL, Nashville SC was linked to Gutman very closely and uh, some MLS asininery, I guess, not a word, uh, got in the way of him coming to Nashville in second year of USL. Since then, he's been a productive pro. Atlanta, Cincinnati, most recently in Colorado. He's 200,000 cheaper than Lovitz. Is he a new Lovitz? As Nashville has an option on Dan Lovitz. Or is he reinforcement as a more attacking version of what Lovitz is? He's a barnstormer who can get forward. I like Gutman a lot as, again, one yeah, of those less sexy, but would fit. And we know it fits because. Wow. Like bald is beautiful. Right. Form <laughs> bald less is sexy. Hey, all right. Shine <laughs> off his head is indeed glorious. <laughs> Uh, 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 here's an option. If he, if he, if again, if his options declined in LA and he comes in at a lower price point than he currently is Michael Barrios as a right okay. wing. Uh, Randall Al has question marks around his health, which I hate because I think we all love Randall and what he can be at his best. Uh, Barrios coming in as a Leal or a, you know, Pico if Fafa ends up leaving the club because um, he's, again, out of contract. You know, I think Barrios has been a productive, serviceable player at three different spots. Is he going to change your season? Maybe not as well. But but again, the goal here is not get better at roster spot one. It's at roster spot eight, nine, ten. I think Barrios could represent an improvement there. And then my dream list, one guy who's a dream, another who's a very, very, very qualified dream, Gustavo Bo, New England, yeah. out of contract, expensive. He's probably your fourth DP if you if you bring him in. Uh, without looking at his current salary level, he's going to be expensive, but he is a proven great veteran in this league. What a coup that would be to get a guy like Bo in 
And he, yeah, I mean, he's he's on two point six seven five, okay. so two million six hundred seventy five thousand. If he needed a steep pay cut, uh, he's got to be kind of old, right? He's got to be like thirty three, maybe. You think I would? You could probably, you could probably get him to start. Yeah, start losing some uh, some scratch off that that old salary there. Yeah, he's thirty three, so that's Productive not bad. Veteran. But uh, yeah, yeah, you would have you would probably need that that fourth DP spot for that that one to happen. Yeah, which it, that's the kind of DP Nashville would bring in if they use that fourth. Yeah. It's a guy who's right above that threshold. Most most likely, I would say. Um, I like him. The other one that comes with some scratches and dents off the pitch, and I want to just put that out there right away. Um, Kai Wagner, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Now you know he ended his season suspended due to a you know a racial slur uh toward an opponent i i think that is you know unforgivable honestly and inexcusable and for that reason i would not blame mike jacobs or anybody for saying you know what we just don't want any part of that he's probably going back to europe anyway let's just you know wave goodbye to a talented former opponent who probably wouldn't fit that mentality so that said if you're purely looking on the field he fits a potential need for Nashville SC, a guy who can get up the flank, who can be a brilliant two-way player. So again, totally qualified. Yeah. But if you're the just one thing on I will the pitch, say, yeah. the one thing I will say about Kai is, unlike most of the, of the racial abuse uh, claims that we've seen over recent seasons, which unfortunately there have been far too many of, uh, he he immediately owned up and said, "I I did something stupid. I should not have mm-hmm. done it. I accept my suspension. I'm a moron. Won't happen again." Um, all too often we see, we see guys say, no, I didn't, uh, please don't, don't review the footage or anything like that. I, yeah. I have no responsibility for this. So again, like you said, inexcusable, but if, if ever you were in a forgiving mood, it, it's certainly, uh, a Kai, a Kai forgiving mood rather than, um, say some, some recent DC United uh, uh, similarities yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, I could. I would not blame Nashville or any team for saying that's just not something yeah. we would ever want to dream of thinking about. So, if anything, put Kai Wagner as the the model of a player who, in a perfect world, in a he doesn't lose his head in that moment world, he's the kind of guy who would be a coup. He he's about one point five million dollar guy as well. So once again, he's on like that high tam level type of deal. Um, we'll see what happens, but I think those are some names. So so Wagner. Bo, Barrios, Goodman, Barlow, Mensa, Fernandez, Acosta, Uloa, Pines, Gressel. If any of these, and Bedoya, which I love, by the way, it's a great idea. <laughs> if any of these happen, we called it first, and uh, Mike will give us commission uh, with interest on Sean Davis <laughs> as well. Uh, or maybe that player will for the incentives that they they accrue over the course of the season. Uh, it's going to be a fun a fun off season for sure. Lots of roster possibilities. Uh, a couple more questions today. This one's fun from Trevor Bryant. With the club participating in four to five competitions next year, which competition should be highest priority and what does the team need to do in the off season to prepare for that competition? And those competitions listed MLS, MLS playoffs, league cup, leagues cup, open cup, champions cup. Yeah. I mean, I just take them in chronological order, right? Uh, you don't need to worry about CCL and no, I will not be calling it CCC. Thank you very much. Um, you don't, you don't need to worry about that anymore by the time leagues cup rolls around. So you worry about CCL first. Uh, if you're satisfied with how you do in CCL, you don't need to worry as much about League's Cup. Um, if you aren't satisfied with how you did, hopefully you didn't uh, come up uns- unsatisfied while spending a lot of uh, a lot of your guys' legs. You take what you get uh, in, in that in that competition and and see how you feel about how much you need to force the force the issue in the next one. I still think that in terms of offseason preparation, it's less about 
signing more players and more about being confident to to use and develop your depth in some of these matches. Mm-hmm. Um, as we as we mentioned a couple weeks uh, a couple episodes ago, I should say, uh, your your non roster players uh, who can in Nashville's case largely play for Huntsville or the academy um, don't you are allowed to use those in non-league competitions, which would be um, CONCACAF. Uh, it would be Leagues Cup. It would be Open Cup. Um, I think that that would be a great time to give those guys some run and, and keep the legs of of a Dax McCarty, assuming that uh, he re-signs with Nashville FC or some of your other guys that are not spring chickens anymore. I think that's what you need to do. You need to use those competitions to, yes, try to win. But if you're not going to try to win, you might as well build your program for the future as well. Yeah, I'm not going to blame this club for saying, look, we don't have a chance to win CCC. It's, it's at least very remote. Let's, you know, let's gird our depth. Let's develop that depth and let's get a strong start to the season when so many other clubs more than ever in recent MLS history are competing in that competition. You can, you know, you can really double down on the league. I'm saying, though, don't do that. I'm saying <laughs> go go for the cups in chronological order, as you suggest, and go for a trophy the quickest route you can get one, which is CCC or Leaks Cup. Uh, I think you need a trophy. I, I think that's that's the goal. That's the mission. MLS is third so that you can put yourself in good position for MLS Cup playoffs, but there's such a crapshoot that I think you have to do what this club has always done mm-hmm. and said, let's, let's get to a good place for the playoffs. Let's not focus on winning the league necessarily. And U.S. Open Cup is fun. U.S. Open Cup is your depth. It's your academy. What do they need? Rotation depth and additional DP, I think, that provide two things, attacking punch in midfield and speed on the edges. And those are their two depth focuses. As they look directionally at what that depth will do, those are the two things to me, a strong number eight and speed on the flanks. All right, moving on to uh, CCC. Yeah, it just doesn't sound I'm just going to keep saying CCL. I don't care. Uh, that might have to be the official stance of this pod. All right, mailbag question for you guys then. Next week, by next week, tell us what we should call it on this podcast. The official name is CONCACAF Champions Cup. Help us out. Give us a better suggestion than CCC or the inaccurate, but still, you know, easy to listen to CCL. (laughs) Anyway, Chax McCarty, what are your current expectations for Nashville in that tournament that you guys will name for us by next week? Uh, We'd love to hear y'all's opinions on this now versus post-draw in a couple weeks, post-off-season transfers. So a Russian nesting doll of, of a question there. We have three different questions in one that we'll uncover as the off-season transpires. Uh, but that draw does pl- take place December 13th, and it is 32 teams now. So a lot of them from MLS and Mexico, of course, with smaller nations represented as they always are. The format, two-leg, single elimination until the one-match final Uh, We don't know everybody in the competition yet. Some of that's going to be determined by what happens in MLS Cup and I think in Mexico as well. Biggest giants that are uh, sure to um, participate, though, America, Monterrey, Chivas, uh, and Tigres. So the big Mexican clubs all going to be involved. Um, Philadelphia Union, Cincinnati, Columbus, Orlando, Leo Messi. Um, The MLS Cup winner will be in there. Of course, that could end up knocking a spot to somebody else, depending on who wins MLS Cup. And of course, Nashville participating. A couple of noteworthy Costa Rican clubs who have made some noise in this competition before. Saprisa, Herediano. So it's going to be a fun tournament. Lots of minnows, but but lots and lots and lots of clubs from the big two. Uh, And uh, so it's going to be tough. I think as as the club stands now, pre-offseason moves, you, you expect kind of what everybody else except the big, big guys expect. You, you make it past a minnow if you draw one in the round of 32, knowing you'll probably have a very ugly match in the Caribbean or Central America and you just get it done at home. And then in the round of 16, 
all bets are off. Uh, I think no matter what decisions Nashville SC makes, unless they add a fourth DP and all of a sudden have, you know, another 15 goal score up, up top, I think that remains my standard. It will probably remain my standard, which is win that first round match if you're not playing Monterey. <laughs> and and then the round of 16, it just kind of depends on who you draw, but it becomes a very tough tournament to win from there. Yeah, this this club would never beat Monterey in a knockout tournament. But <laughs> Bad example. Bad yeah. example. I mean, I guess it does go back to the previous question because it depends on what NSC wants to prioritize. I told you what I would prioritize if I were them, but I am not them, so I don't know exactly what they are going to do. Um, I would I would prioritize it uh, pretty heavily until, until otherwise uh, advised. But if they get an easy draw, the expectations, and, and then probably the resources that they put towards the competition, similar to last year's Leagues Cup, um, they they kind of cruised through the through the group stage and then said, okay, we'll get we'll win a knockout round game. And if we get there, we're really going to go for this. And they did. And they almost ended up winning it. It took penalties in a final. Uh, it took Lionel Messi in a final to beat them. I think if if things don't look like they're going well early in the tournament, uh, it makes sense to to say, okay, let's let's roll with a little bit of depth here. Let's do what I was talking about as as a potential uh, avenue there in the previous question as well. But it is just a matter of if you feel like you can win a trophy, you try to win a trophy. If you don't feel like you can win a trophy, um, you might as well kind of say, hey, we'll take what we can get by uh, testing our depth a little bit. Yeah, I think that's all very reasonable. And if you don't you know, go deep in CCL, you have a great opportunity uh, in Leagues Cup to go a step further than you did. Uh, the year before John Mueller, is it time for more public accountability for pro of the four conference semifinal games? Three had game changing, questionable decisions. And the most glaring of them, I think was the, uh, the no, no call Houston handball. That's either mm-hmm. nothing or a red card by definition of what the player did. And pro you know, decided referees decided there's nothing there. It, look at look for it yourself, guys. It looked like a pretty dang clear handball. You had the controversial offside where I think an angle could be very deceptive and maybe make it not conclusive between Cincinnati and Philadelphia. A lot going on, Tim. But I think to the heart of John's question, public accountability. What, what does that look like and how can MLS apply that? I first want to take a step back real quick. Um, sure. Yes, accountability is important. First thing I will say is uh, you and I, Wes, are not exactly innocent on this podcast of kvetching about officials, but MLS officials really are some of the best in the world. Um, we're close to it, so we kind of live and die by the minutia and, and um, yeah, the American inferiority complex of, of soccer sometimes plays into how we perceive it. But watch the Premier League any weekend and you'll see you'll in basically every game you'll see a call as as confusing or bad as that so um while we do think that referees need to do a good job it is their job to do a good job right um i i don't want to you know speak too far and say oh they're they're doing a, a notably terrible job um except you know in a vacuum they're supposed to make every call right so with that said uh, there was a change at the top of Pro this year. Howard Webb, who was the longtime executive director of Pro, departed. He went to go back and, and be the uh, director of officials or whatever the title is for the Premier League. Um, so the organization um, at that point, I will say, did not live up to its contractual obligations with MLS to make their officials available to reporters from North American soccer reporters after games. That is in their contract with MLS. That This is a, a private organization that pays and assigns the referees and was not living up to its obligation to Major League Soccer. So that is, is supposed to be their public accountability. Um, the lack thereof will not repeat this year as it has been addressed with Major League Soccer. Um, I don't think I'm, I'm breaking any news here. I'm the president of North American soccer reporters. I've brought up multiple complaints from my constituents 
with the league and with pro multiple times this year. And we've been promised that it will be better in the future. Yes. There should be full accountability when it, when a call is wrong. And if that is as simple as my bad, I messed up, I'm human and I mess up. That's fine. But the accountability, the, the willingness to go uh, and answer a question about what, what you were thinking on a call is, is something that we didn't get. We didn't get a genuine um, effort from from officials this season to answer those questions, and um, it was it was deemed unacceptable by Major League Soccer when it was brought up with them. Good, good work, by the way, uh, on behalf of of reporters, you know, who are members in your organization and who are who are fighting to uh, to tell clear stories and grow the game uh, through their coverage. And I think an, an example of that was the the response to the pool reporter in the Cincinnati Philadelphia game, where the response was literally, I'm not quoting verbatim, but it was it was essentially, to paraphrase. It's uh, going to be the same thing they did all year until the I player yelled, was I got, not ruled to be offside because yeah. he was not past the second to last defender. Yeah. Yeah. They, oh, they, they'll say, uh, Brilliant. At, the, at the time, at the time, the foul was not deemed to be worthy of a red card. I'm like, well, that's not an answer to the question. That's just a, a tautological restating. restatement of the question. Yeah. <laughs> right. So thanks for your efforts. Nothing to add for me, except that, you know, it, it is an extraordinarily hard job. And for me, I have a lot less patience with, a lack of public accountability than I do with missing a call or yeah. missing a series of calls. That's, that's the issue to me. And, and yeah, and I, I totally agree. And, and again, to go back to the, to the first part of what I said, it's important to remember that these, these guys are going to mess up. I think they mess up a lot less as a, as a, uh, you know, a proportion of potential calls. They mess up less than, than mm-hmm. major league soccer fans think. Um, if you watch leagues around the world, they mess up at least as much for the most part. Um, so I, I do want to give them credit for, for doing a pretty good job officiating. Everybody can always do better. Um, and uh, I think as as they desire to show honesty and they desire to be better, it would uh, serve everyone. Not only not only reporters and fans, but the officials themselves. Uh, an organization that is extraordinarily publicly accountable is uh, ML Rose. <laughs> and they really don't need to get better, but they'll keep trying. You vote anyway. with your dollars. Uh, that's the accountability. <laughs> That's it. And uh, boy, I've, I'm going to be accountable to my wife if I keep spending the level of money that I am at ML Rose. That's <laughs> uh, great. I, and I, I know I mentioned this recently, but just to say it again, you know, you think your, your true values uh, and, and the way you value a place are tested when somebody from out of town is asking for tips. You know, is this the kind of place you'd recommend to friends and family with, again, like nothing to gain here uh, other than hoping they have a good experience? And Time and time again, but especially recently when my colleagues came over from Finland. Hey, Consta, if you're still listening, second episode to listen. Uh, hello up there in Nokia area, Finland. Uh, when they wanted to know where to go, I recommended ML Rose and they loved it. They had a great experience. And I think, Tim, that, you know, again, we don't get kickbacks from from our sponsors for for doing that. And I know we've we told the story before, but it's it's just... To me, it's, it's great to have a place I can trust that I will enjoy, that my wife, that my kid will enjoy. Um, but also the, a place that I can recommend to, to people mm-hmm. and, and it helps my credibility. I think that is really the true value of a place. And, and I, I deeply value that place. Yeah. It's something that we we've brought up, uh, you know, a lot of times how you can go have a good burger and a good beer. And today we talked about how you can go there and get work done and not, not have, you know, music too loud to, to even, uh, participate in a zoom call or, <laughs> or concentrate. 
it is the sort of place that that can be what you need it to be on a given day. It, it fits a lot of different, um, you know, it can be a family place. It can be a, a straight up bar if you go if you go there, especially uh, after a, a, a very exciting Nashville SC game. If you walk 14 minutes and 20 seconds to the 8 South location, there will be a lot of people reveling or a lot of people um, sorrowing, I guess, as like a, a pure bar. But it is it is a restaurant where you can go get good food with the entire family. It is a place where you can go during the day and get some work done. And the fact that, um, you know, we, you and I both like to do all of those things uh, makes it the perfect place to sponsor our pop. And it's uh, it's a great place to go during college football bowl season. A lot of these like daytime, you know, weekday oh, yeah. bowl games. I'm going to put it out there right now. I'm going to choose a random bowl game I wouldn't otherwise care about. I'm going to give you a little bit of notice, folks. And uh, let's meet up at ML Rose for like a 4 p.m., like Thursday bowl game around this time of the year when like people say they're being productive, but really we're all just logging in to say we're in and then we're going to go, you know, <laughs> so toward the end of the day, for those who actually do have to get after it at work, uh, let's, let's hook up for one of those bowl games. And uh, it, it can be your proof of concept that ML Rose, as you said, is not just great connected to soccer. It's, it's great year round. And by the way, the game, if it's happening, it will be on at, at ML Rose. Now let's go outside in and hear the sounds of a big goal between Houston and SKC. Hector Herrera delivers with the left foot. It's there! The Dynamo, Tim, somehow, under the first year of Ben Olsen's reign, are in the conference final. And uh, how'd you like that one? Was that your favorite quarterfinal match? Yeah, it was. I liked it because even after the Dynamo took the lead, they kept trying to score. It was not like, okay, we're just going to sit back and, uh, quite frankly, play Benny Ball. <laughs> so, so it was uh, maybe not the prototypical Ben Olsen match. But, but, but SKC didn't give up either. Uh, you got more entertainment value for the the aforementioned uh, refereeing controversy um, as a neutral. Sometimes those can be fun. If I were an SKC or even a Houston fan, I would be very upset about watching that and and having to to sweat out what is going to to happen with uh, refereeing controversy. But it's an exciting game to watch. Yeah, Houston, the best example this year of the parity of Major League Soccer. Cincinnati, of course, a great longer-term example because it's only their second year of being decent, and here they are winning the Supporter Shield. I think Houston's still a better example because from a year in which they fired their manager, they had three managers in like four seasons, and all of a sudden they're good without a massive roster makeover in this case, but by smartly using the players they had and supplementing. And of course, it doesn't hurt that Hector Herrera has shown up this year, and I don't think he decided yeah. last year he wanted to. Um, it, that's been fun. It's been, and, and that's why Nashville SC fans should always maintain hope <laughs> that that they, next year can be very, very different. But also a warning that next year can be very, very different. <laughs> uh, I like to have LFC over Seattle only because, again, I think when those two heavyweights get together, it's always going to be a fun game, fun result. Didn't really disappoint. And uh, you know, I like the fact that you have a a, a, a very, very, very ambitious team in LAFC where it belongs, which is looking for its second straight MLS cup and, and a couple wins away from doing that. I think that's a reminder to everybody in this league that if you spend and you spend wisely looking at you, Toronto, you're going to get your money's worth uh, often, not always, but often. Yeah. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about the quarterfinals, I do want to bring up maybe a little mini rant. Um, I think I mentioned it last episode. Um, I don't know what the streaming numbers say. I don't know if Apple would agree with me, but I think this format is, is a nightmare for trying to keep general fan interest. Once a team is out, obviously we follow Nashville SC very closely since they've been out. I've had to 
to twist my own arm. <laughs> We're, we are very far down the, the sicko distribution curve and I can still barely convince myself to show interest. Again, Apple might not have the same opinion as me, but it seems designed to convince people to stop being fans of the league generally by stretching out the playoffs as far as they are. Format itself is blech. But, but the thing that really irks me, and I've always kind of uh, beaten this drum a little bit and in other seasons that hasn't been quite the same precise issue, but this concept of, of wading through an international break and pushing it past that November international break is, is basically embarrassing. It makes it so hard to keep fan attention up. I think it's an own goal uh, for Major League yeah. Soccer to, to, to stretch the postseason this long. I completely agree. I don't think soccer should last longer than college football. I don't think you should go past the college football regular Well, and I think I, I've said this before too. I think once you get to like the last couple of weeks of the college football season, a lot of your fans are college football fans. And they're saying, I, I love major league soccer, but if my team is not in it, I'm just watching college football all the time. Yeah. It's it's a, yeah. a lot of overlap in those two fan bases and you're losing a lot of your potential uh, streaming eyeballs. Uh, I mean, you're talking to a guy wearing a very bright orange Tennessee hat right now, <laughs> and I'm completely with you. And I come against all odds. I don't have any Michigan crap with me. Sorry. Shocking. I can go get my diploma out of the closet over there. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a typical Michigan supporter right there. That that is it. Uh, we imagine some of you might have turned this off actually because we're not talking about Nashville and talking about games you're not watching. Uh, but quickly, LAFC Houston uh, Dynamo swept the season series, won one nil at LA in June. Uh, hard to beat that team three times in one season though, Tim, I think I still like LAFC to get this one done. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at a team with Denis Buanga versus whomever the other team has in a knockout game, I'm saying I'm, I'm taking Buanga's team, right. And uh, with what LAFC has done over the past several years, um, obviously, um, taking it all the way home last year. I, yeah, <laughs> I have a hard time picking against LAFC nonetheless. Uh, since in Columbus, hell is real. The only thing I'll predict is that the over under of four and a half goals will be eclipsed. It's going to go over. It's going to be madness. I don't know who wins. I really like both of these teams. Columbus was one I pointed at to start the playoffs and said they might just be the team to go all the way. Since he won this one, three, two. And since earlier this year, Columbus won three nil in Ohio's capital. Somebody's going to score three goals in this one. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know who's going to get in a fight. It's good. It's going to be MLS madness, I think, Tim. And I can't wait to watch this one. Honestly, if you had to, if I had to pick one person to both score goals and get in a fight, it would be Lucho Costa. So uh, I'm going with I'm going with Lucho's <laughs> team just because when you when you have the best player, uh, I believe today he was announced as as MLS MVP. I yep. hope I'm not uh, speaking out of turn. You're correct by it's spoiling public. that, but it's public. Um, yeah, again. In a knockout match, I'm going with a team that has the best player. I know I've watched teams that have Hani Mukhtar not advanced to MLS Cup the past couple of years, but uh, nonetheless, uh, if if you have to guess, I'm I'm taking the one with the, the best player on the field. Lucho, the luchador, going to get things done. And Lucha Libre, yes, he'll be free to the MLS Cup <laughs> final. All right, final whistle. Tim, anything you've been reading or watching lately that you want to pass along? Yeah, this is 100% zero anything to do with soccer, but I recently read How to Be Perfect by Michael Schur, who is the creator mm. of, of both Parks and Rec and The Good Place. When he was making The Good Place, which if anybody's seen it, um, it's uh, first of all, if you haven't seen it, it's awesome. Go watch it. But it's yes. basically a sitcom about philosophy and uh, moral philosophy specifically. And it inspired him to write this book, basically like a, a comedic uh, intro to moral philosophy and it's really funny he's obviously a very funny guy he's made um, he was uh, got his biggest break as a writer for the office and that's what allowed him to create parks and rec and the good place 
and some show that's on Peacock that is animated that I will never watch because it's on Peacock. So, so Rutherford Falls, I think it's called, but uh, it's probably great. I'm just not going to watch it, but I am going to read again, probably How to Be Perfect. Great book. Check it out. I will not start the end of the podcast by going on the tangent I would like to about The Good Place and what a wonderful show it is. It's awesome. Um, I just rewatched it after I read the book. It's, it's brilliant. By the way, there's a companion podcast, if you've, if you've discovered that, hosted by mm-hmm. Sean the Demon. Um, uh-huh. It's it's brilliantly done. Um, yeah, bite-sized, moral philosophy in bite-sized chunks mixed with incredible comedy. Um, it's zany. It's uh, heartfelt, though, as well. It's got a real soul to it. Uh, so I did not know Mike Schur had written a book that kind of almost mirrored that show. And now I will yeah. be uh, putting that on my Christmas list or cheating and buying it now uh, because that, that sounds excellent. Thank you for that recommendation. Um, I'm reading one actually uh, right now as well. Very different book, um, but very interesting in the garden of beasts, uh, nonfiction about uh, the U S ambassador to Germany leading up to world war II. Um, I'm far enough into it to recommend it. It's, it's, very interesting um and uh, you know a hard read but you know you you start to see the build up and see how innocuous some people thought things were in germany and oh this is just boys being boys or this is just you know one bad actor but there are checks and balances and he'll be restrained and yeah you know echoes that we hope to not be hearing now or wish i wish we weren't hearing now um very interesting very interesting book again i'm a third of the way into it uh, because i have a three-year-old and that's not easy as you as you can relate having two two kids yourself so working my way through it but but extraordinary eric larson in the garden of beasts so for going non non-soccer related books oh boy oh boy wrote devil in the white city too he did indeed you yeah. did indeed i need to hop on that one next oh my parents read it like 20 years ago and i was like that seems boring i'm not gonna read it and now that i'm like an old man i'm like oh that actually sounds kind of interesting really good, like right yeah yeah <laughs> Um, all right. Well, this has been a very wide ranging episode. I think we can fairly say, <laughs> especially the way we, uh, we ended it. Thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate it. Uh, do us a favor, drop by ML Rose, tweet us your pictures from ML Rose. That is not just a pre and post game commandment from us. That is, uh, especially a hot Tim winter uh, request hashtag hot Tim winter when you're there. And, uh, again, let's get together for a meaningless bowl game, or maybe, I guess maybe for a soccer match would be a good idea since we are a soccer podcast in addition to being a college football show. Uh, thanks to Boon Taxi for the music. Uh, also, while you're doing us favors, while you're sitting in Melrose, get on Apple Podcasts, quick rating, review, subscribe, tell a friend, and give us each a follow on Twitter at West Bowling TN at Club Country USA. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network for giving us the platform to uh, freeze things up and get ready for hot Tim winter. And we'll talk to you guys soon.